Dagon's Illusion, Episode 24, Wheelchair Boy. As Robert Dagon stared at the blood-red tie, a vague image appeared in his peripheral vision. He turned his head. He was sitting on the floor in a toilet stall. From somewhere, the woman's voice yelled again, Did you hear me? Get out here right now! Instantly, his mind cleared and his guts wrenched. It had been over thirty years since he had heard that awful voice. He looked down at himself. Suddenly the tie wasn't on the floor. He was wearing it. A white suit, a white shirt, and a blood-red tie. With a yell, he jumped up and ripped the tie off his neck. Then he jerked open the stall door and rushed out. He was in an empty men's room. He stared at himself in a mirror. The face that looked back at him was nine years old. In a cold panic, Dagon ran back to the stall. This was the way in. It had to be a way out. But the only thing he found was a dirty toilet. The woman's voice yelled, If you don't come out right now, I'm coming in and your daddy's going to give you the weapon of your life. Dagon swore. So this was the new game. Bring back the nightmare of his childhood. Well, he might look like a child, but he wasn't a child. Throwing the red tie into the toilet, he flushed it. Then he ripped open the top button of his shirt. Robbie! Robbie! Stone cold with rage, nine-year-old Robert Dagan walked out of the restroom. And there she was. Waiting for him in the hall was a gorgeous, statuesque woman with perfect blonde hair and black, angry eyes. Hello, mother. Grabbing his arm, she hissed, What did you do with your tie? I flushed it down the toilet. You did what? You heard me. You little beast! Your father's going to beat the crap out of you. But if you think that little trick is going to keep you from going out there, you're dead wrong. You're going out on that platform, and you're going to do exactly what you're supposed to. And if you pull a stunt like last night, your father's going to make you eat it. You understand? Jerking away, Dagon rasped, Get your hands off me, bitch, and never touch me again. He smiled. You want me to go out there? Well, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Show me the way, mother. Staring at him in shock, she led him down the hall. As they walked, he felt a cool satisfaction. Whatever this game was, he would play it his way. Dagon glanced at the woman out of the corner of his eye. He had forgotten how beautiful she was, and he had no pictures to remind him. She had been a runway model, and on her even a ridiculous white dress and blood-red scarf looked stunning. But the beauty only made her viciousness more repulsive. Suddenly he heard a choir and the music brought such rage that he trembled. They were singing the song, the one his father always used to introduce him. They came to a staircase. As they hurried up it, the singing grew louder. A moment later they were standing in front of two large swinging doors. Though in his child body Dagon was too short to see through the windows, he knew what was on the other side, a huge auditorium filled with thousands of people. The song ended, and a man's powerful voice boomed out over a speaker system. Praise God, there is power in the blood. How many of you have come here believing that God can set you free tonight? Say amen. 10,000 voices screamed amen. How many of you believe that God can set you free from the demon of poverty tonight? Say amen. 10,000 voices screamed amen. How many of you believe that God can set you free from the demon of disease tonight? Say amen! Ten thousand voices screamed amen. You have come to the right place, because the hurricane of Holy Ghost power is getting ready to strike this room with fire straight from heaven. Say praise the Lord! Ten thousand voices screamed praise the Lord. 
Do you want that Holy Ghost hurricane to blow Satan straight out of your body? Well, we're going to find out how much you want it. God is a rewarder of those who seek him. Do you believe that tonight, beloved? And how does God want us to seek him? He has shown us the way. In days of old, before he poured his mighty spirit on his people, he required a wave offering. Do you know what a wave offering is? No, it isn't just waving and saying, Howdy-do, Lord. It was giving something that was precious by holding it up to God and waving it to heaven. Do you want to see an outpouring of Holy Spirit healing fire tonight? If you do, I want you to take out your wallet or your purse and remove the biggest bill you've got. Then I want you to hold it up and wave it unto the Lord. Dagon knew that the arena had turned into a waving field of green. Bless God! Look at that! There's going to be a Holy Ghost harvest tonight because God sees how much you want His Spirit. By the way, He does take checks. If you want to write a check and wave it, you just do that right now. While the ushers come forward, I'm going to introduce our special treat for this evening. His voice got low and personal. Brothers and sisters, God loves to give special treats, doesn't he? Is he a giving God? Extraneous voices yelled, yes he is, amen, and preach it. We tried to bring you this special treat last night, but there was a slightly messy complication. He may be a Holy Ghost baptized prophet of God, but he's also a nine-year-old boy, and yesterday he just had a few too many chicken McNuggets. But tonight I promise you that his stomach is filled with nothing but the Holy Ghost. Loud laughter and cheers. Would you please give a God-loving, hell-stomping, devil-bashing, spirit-yelling welcome to my only begotten son, Reverend Robbie Arthur Danforth. Clapping, yelling, and cheering thundered through the auditorium as Dagon's mother pushed him through the swinging doors. Instantly, the room went dark, and a blazing spotlight blasted down on him as the choir began to sing, How Great Thou Art! In a sweating rage, Dagon stood without moving. Not far away, on a wide platform, a vulture-faced man was turned toward him. He might have forgotten his mother's beauty, but he could never forget his father's ugliness. The face like a pockmarked axe, the black hair, the rail-thin body draped in a ridiculous white suit, with a red tie bleeding down the front as though someone had given him a tracheotomy with a hammer and chisel. As Dagon stared at him, the man's anger flashed from his eyes. He was always angry when things didn't go as he had directed. Not only was Reverend Robbie not wearing the regulation blood-drenched tie, he wasn't following the entrance part of the plan. The ritual was always the same. When he walked through the doors, he was supposed to raise his arms and twirl across the front of the auditorium like a little fag. Screw that. When the man realized that Reverend Robbie wasn't going to twirl, he strode across the platform. With smiling mouth and gritted teeth, he hurried down the steps, laid his arm over Dagon's shoulders and guided him forcefully up onto the stage. Then he stood with his hand raised and his face looking heavenward. With tears streaming, he began to pray in tongues. Dagon was filled with a cold appreciation. To be able to see his father, not from the perspective of a child, but as an adult and a professional performer himself, was an incredible experience. What skill! The man could manufacture tears at a moment's notice, and that babbling you could almost imagine it was a language. His parents had tried endlessly to get him to speak in tongues, forcing him to prime the pump by exhaling strings of guttural grunts and twitters. It hadn't worked. Finally the song ended and the lights came back on. Dagon's father struggled to compose himself. People of God, what a precious moment this is. The joy of the Lord is upon me to have my only son with me on this platform. 
What a manifestation of Holy Ghost blessing. God's holy word says that sons are like arrows in the quiver of their father. I only have one arrow, but he's a strong one. In this terrible day, when so many children are following the ways of the devil, I want you to meet a young man who brings joy to his parents' hearts. From the moment he was born, the Holy Ghost has been upon him. He preached his first sermon at two years old about Jonah and the whale. And when he was four, he memorized 300 verses of scripture. That's right, 300. Did his mother and I force him to do that? We did not. He did it on his own because the power of God had taken hold of him. And by the time he was seven, he had half the New Testament planted like holy seed in his soul. Praise God! Dagon stared up at the vulture face. Look how he controlled them. Look how he gave them what they wanted. A great entertainer always senses the heart and soul of a crowd and moves with it. And whatever else he was, this man knew how to make thousands of people hang on his every word. Of course, he was also a brazen liar who lied when he didn't even have to just because he loved doing it. For instance, why had Dagon memorized so many verses of the Bible? Pure and simple. If he didn't, his parents would beat the crap out of him. And when he couldn't remember a particular verse, they would hold his head under water. A rather strong motivation. But was lying really an issue? Didn't all performers lie? Wasn't a form of lying at the heart of all great drama? If you looked at preachers as dramatists, it was possible to be much more forgiving. But there was no forgiveness for the vulture. With frigid objectivity, Dagon listened to his father's pitch. I'm going to tell you something, and I want you to believe it with all your heart. If you want your children to grow up for God, have a memorized scripture. All that scripture in my son's heart had a mighty influence on him. When he was only six years old, he displayed his prophetic healing gifts. Praise Jesus! His mother and I will never forget it. More tears. One night we were getting ready to have a Holy Ghost revival just like this one here. And a woman walked into our prayer room. She was the pastor of a church. Robbie had never seen her before in his life, but he went right up to her and told her she had cancer of the esophagus. Now, how does a six-year-old child know about an esophagus? A six-year-old child thinks an esophagus is a funny puppet on Sesame Street. But God was in him. He went right up to that woman and told her God was going to heal her of esophageal cancer that very minute. Tears were streaming again. As his mother and I watched, he laid hands on her and she was healed. Thank you, Jesus. Never, never did the evil spirit of cancer touch her body again. Say amen. There were screams of amen as the arena was swept with waves of joy. In all his performances as a mentalist, never had Dagon been able to create such emotion. And there was a reason for that. Though his whole career was based on illusion, never had he crossed the line to milk human suffering for money. And people, and people say Jesus doesn't heal today. Do you know that woman hadn't told anybody about her cancer? She just found out about it herself that very morning. The woman healed from cancer was a total lie. It had never happened. She didn't exist. That's what God can do through one young boy filled with the Holy Ghost. How could you tell such lies to thousands? You had to lie to yourself. And you had to do it so many times that every time you lied, you entered into a kind of trance. In the trance, the lie became true. 
The longer you did it, the more you lived in a trance. Pretty soon lying would pour out all the time, especially on the people closest to you. And if the father was a liar, the center of the family couldn't hold. Everyone would be sucked into a screaming vortex from hell. Do you want to see God's power tonight? Well, we're going to see it. God is going to bless us with the healing ministry of Reverend Robbie Danforth. Are you feeling Holy Ghost power, son? As he bent close to Dagon, in his eyes there was a threat. We got a lot of sick children here who need a touch from the Lord. And that little problem you had last night has been completely healed, hasn't it? That hideous night. Yesterday, but so long ago. The night more horrible than all the others. He had thrown up on the platform. And it wasn't because of Chicken McNuggets. The sickness in his soul had settled into his guts, and he had hurled a slimy mess all over his white suit and blood-red tie. Years later, as an adult, he had looked back and realized that all his anger and sorrow had congealed into a single point of terror. And what was he so afraid of? The ghost. Though he had called the thing a ghost, it hadn't looked like one. Every time it appeared, it had looked totally real. But at nine years old, ghost was the only word he could find to explain the unexplainable. And Reverend Robbie knew it was a ghost because he was the only one who ever saw it. It had started this way. One night he was doing his act in the big healing show. He handled the children. He would point to some part of the audience and say, I see a little girl. She can hardly breathe. Something's wrong with her chest. I don't know what it is, but God does, and he wants to heal her tonight. If you're that little girl, stand up so God can heal you. It didn't matter whether anybody actually stood up or not. The crowds were so large that a child couldn't be seen standing anyway, so he always pretended as though someone had stood up. Then he would look at a new part of the room and talk about a different disease. It was a script that his parents had written and made him memorize, and there was a different one for each show. So when he had a bunch of kids standing all around the room, his father would give him a cue and he would ask them to come forward into a healing line. Then they would come up on the platform and he would pray over them. He hated the praying part most of all, because it was the most fake, and he had to look straight into their faces. His parents always wanted him to slay them in the spirit, but kids don't slay as easy as adults. Anyway, he would pray, and if his prayers weren't energetic enough, his father would pinch his arm. Reverend Robbie's ministry was so popular that everywhere the Danforth Crusade went, he had to spend at least 30 minutes healing children. The fact that afterward children actually claimed to be healed was a mystery to him because in his mind it was all a fraud. Every night he had to bounce with energy. To help him along, his parents made him gag down a full cup of espresso half an hour before the show, so he'd bounce all right. But there was another motivation for bouncing. If he didn't perform up to their expectations, he would be punished. There was an upside to this whole demeaning charade, and it disgusted him as much as the punishment enraged him. If the offering after his ministry was large, he got a special treat, like a bicycle or sports equipment. Once, after a particularly heart-wrenching performance, he had received a trip to Disneyland. So several nights a week, he would twirl onto the platform and do his show. But there was one part of the crowd that he never looked at. The wheelchair people. There were always hundreds of them bunched together on one side, he didn't look at them because he was afraid he might see a really sick child. Sometimes people brought their children in rolling hospital beds. Not once had a child ever been healed from one of those. Robbie knew that if he looked at the wheelchair kids, he might start crying. 
so he didn't look. This one night, everything was going just like the plan was supposed to, when suddenly he looked down. Parked right in front of him below the platform was a boy his age in a wheelchair, which was weird because it was against his father's rules for wheelchairs to be down in front. All the wheelchair people were supposed to be off to one side. So where were the ushers? Nobody came to move the kid, so he just sat there with his head down. Robbie had tried not to look at him. But the more you try not to do something, the more you do it. So when he was supposed to be looking out of the crowd, imagining a child he was going to heal, instead he had stared at this kid. He was dirty, dressed in rags, and his arms were covered with running sores. That night, Reverend Robbie had ended his part of the show without even doing a healing line. He had walked off the platform, and his father had been forced to bring the kids forward and pray for them himself. Needless to say, his parents had been very upset. People love to see kids get healed, especially when it's a kid who heals them. He had told his parents about the sick kid in the wheelchair down in front, but they hadn't believed him. They said there hadn't been anybody down in front. And if there had been, the ushers would have hustled them away, so it was all his imagination. After a while, Robbie had shut up about it. Everything went okay for a few weeks. Then, in another city, on the third night of the crusade, the same boy had appeared again, sitting in his wheelchair. This time, there was a gray pallor about him as though he were dying. That night, right in the middle of his act, Robbie had turned to his father, whispered about the boy, and pointed straight at him. But his father had whispered back that there was no one there and he should get to work. He had said it with good Bible-type words because his lapel mic was on. That's when he knew that he was seeing a ghost. From that night, the ghost didn't go away. In every city, the wheelchair boy appeared always in the same place, but each time he looked skinnier and more diseased. Then came that last terrible night. For weeks, Robbie's fear had been building until just thinking about going on the platform made him shake. His performances were disintegrating. Each night he had begged not to have to go out there, but his parents wouldn't listen. That last night, he was standing beside his father, about to start his act when the boy appeared again. This time he lay slouched without moving. Robbie knew that he was dead. Half a minute later, he had thrown up. That was the end. He just couldn't do it anymore. Of course, his parents punished him in every way they knew how, but it did no good. He was more afraid of the ghost than of anything they could do to him. And that was the end of what Robert Dagan had called his family. For his parents, a child was either a ministry asset or a liability. And when he had moved to the liability side of the ledger, they had decided to divest themselves of their holding. A month after his last appearance, he had been sent to a boarding school. That's what they had called it, but it was really a home for crazy children. Six months later, his parents had stopped paying the bill and simply vanished from his life. Robert Arthur Danforth had been sent to a state-run orphanage. For him, there hadn't even been a foster home. But at that orphanage, a wonderful thing had happened. In his loneliness and sorrow, when nobody gave a damn, he had met an old janitor named Bill Dagan. And Bill Dagan was a magician. He could make coins and cups and balls act like they were alive. In his hand, a deck of cards would stand up and almost talk to you. In later years, remembering back, 
Dagan had concluded that Bill was perhaps the greatest sleight-of-hand artist that he had ever known and one of the master card mechanics of the world. So why hadn't he found a glittering career in show business instead of spending his life cleaning toilets? There were reasons. First, he was ugly. He had a weird kind of bone deformity on the side of his face that looked like a stack of golf balls growing under his skin. Second, he was mostly deaf. When he tried to speak, the sounds that came out were groans and croaks. To see him perform jarred you because he insisted on talking. Miracles took place in his hands while rasping croaks issued from his mouth, and you didn't know which to look at, the amazing trick or the golf balls growing out of his head. Not exactly what you'd want at a kid's party or at the Magic Castle. No one in the world had wanted to see Bill Dagan perform except one lonely boy. So he had taken Robbie under his wing and taught him everything he knew. Five evenings a week they would sit together, and magic became their language. From that old man, Dagan had received a master's course in the art of illusion. From him, he had also received the only love that he had ever experienced. Bill had died when Robert was a senior in high school. To him, he had left his magic collection accumulated over 70 years. That and $100,000. As soon as he was able, Robert had changed his name from Danforth to Dagan. Now, as Robert Dagan stood in front of the gigantic crowd, once more he heard the vulture face say, Are you ready to feel that Holy Ghost power, son? We've got a lot of kids here tonight that need your special touch. It's time to heal these precious, precious children. As the crowd waited breathlessly for the first time, Dagan realized what he had been given. This was his dream, the night that had never been. He hadn't dreamed it in so long that he had forgotten about it. It was the dream of going back. The dream of vengeance. How many times he had imagined it, spewing out all the hate that was in him. He stared at his father. Is God really here tonight? Yes, he is, son, so why don't we show his power right now? Okay, but first, could Mother come and join us? I want her to get the blessing, too. Reverend Danforth stared at him. All right. Diane, would you come out here? With a strange look, Dagan's mother walked onto the platform. Dagan smiled. Isn't it wonderful to be a family working for God? There's going to be a healing tonight, but first I'd like to give a prophecy. A prophecy? His father's eyes became even more cold and menacing. This was way outside the plan. Yes, I have the prophetic gift, don't I, Father? He turned to the crowd. Wouldn't all of you like to hear God's word of prophecy over my parents? The people cheered. Smiling through gritted teeth, his father said, Son, this is not the time. Oh, yes, it is. Praise the Lord, he's got a message for both of you. I'm going to tell your future and all these people will know I'm a prophet of God when it really happens. So here's what God told me. There's a curse on both of you. The crowd gasped. That's right. In ten years your whole ministry is going to hell because it's nothing but a lie. His father moved toward him, but Dagan held up his hand. No, this is my reality and I'm in control of it. You won't do anything until I tell you to. His father seemed to freeze. In ten years, your wife will divorce you because everybody will find out that you've got sluts spread halfway around the world. Your wife will give TV interviews about what fakes you both have been. She'll say you abused her and didn't really care about anybody but yourself. You live for money. 
You're going to die from cirrhosis of the liver as an alcoholic selling used cars, and nobody's going to give a damn. He turned toward his mother. And you, Mrs. Danforth, you forced your son to perform in this grind show from hell. Then when you couldn't use him anymore, you flushed him out of your life like a piece of crap. So listen to your future. When you're 50, you'll look 75. When you're 65, you'll be a homeless person, but you'll live long enough to see your son become an international star. You'll go to him for help, but you won't even be allowed in the door. Both of you better hope there's no hell, because if there is, you're gonna burn there. Then he turned toward the crowd. All of you are just as guilty as they are because you created them out of your selfish greed. So here's my message to you, but it isn't from God because I don't believe in him. You can all go to hell together. Frozen silence. Triumphantly, Robert Dagan walked off the platform and down the long center aisle. No one moved. No one tried to stop him. When he reached the rear doors, he threw them open. And the instant he passed through, he was no longer a child. He fell to the floor, and in front of him lay the blood-red tie.